your skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. Yeah, no, you gotta, you gotta drink up. You gotta be, you gotta make sure you're good. Yeah, the cottonmouth was getting to me, and then I was like, so I'm supposed to talk a whole bunch and smack my lips a whole lot. I, uh, I often run into the same issue. I get to the end of the night, I can't even fucking... I'm just all... Yeah, uh, I am I'm also a very loud person. Yeah. Um, no, you, you and I can be pretty fucking loud. Yeah, so, like, just on a... The other night I was driving home uh, from King of Prussia, and it was the it was the night it snowed. I know it snowed up here yeah. a little bit more than down there yeah, by like half an inch, it. but so I was driving home and it was it was snowing, and I had this song on the radio, and I can barely vaguely remember what song it was, mm-hmm. uh, but I was just belting yeah, the man. whole way home. Oh, dude, I do that. I do that in the car every day. It's it's kind of a way I relieve stress. Yeah. I play music very loudly and just fucking go with it. And it could be anything from the fucking 70s to 2015 DIY emo, you know, like... Okay. <laughs> it's a very, very wide selection, but also, like, Broadway. Like, not to yeah. make frowns sound any more like a stereotype, but there are times where I have him in my car and Broadway just comes on and we just... Like, we play the characters, yeah. you know? Like, we do the can, accents and sing. definitely see. <laughs> it's yeah, it's fucking stupid, and I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> and and I, th- I think that's funny just because he is gay. Yeah. And he does apply to his stereotype. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he hates when I say that, so he's probably... If he hears this, he's gonna hate this. Um, this... Yeah, let me just... Let me just say, like, this is episode 71... Okay, that's this what is, this is. This is that's what this is going to be. Uh, I'm actually not up to date, so I'm I'm like way far behind. So now I'm like we, even farther. We just put out at this time. I think it was fifty five. Fifty. I think it was fifty six. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm like ten to twelve episodes behind. I I don't know what happened. I've been talking. <laughs> I don't want to say shit. Disco Dracula about how fucking backlogged I am like part of me is thinking about releasing two a week just so that I could catch myself up in a timeline but the other part of me is just far too lazy to do that (laughs) and and the other other part of me also knows that like I can't I can't manage that so I should just record less so that I eventually catch up to myself and I can manage a more yeah, like a present steady... time, a present like a, what's the word, um, where something like makes sense because of its context, like uh, relevance. Okay, yeah, relevancy. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. F- for example, fifty six that was just released is an episode where Disco Dracula and I talk about the entire script for the twenty fifteen cancelled it. Okay. And. That would have been far more relevant when the movie came out. When the movie came out, it's yeah. gonna come out on fucking Blu-ray in a month. Yeah. Like, maybe not the best time. And you know, I recorded something yesterday because it, it, we are getting closer to Christmas. Mm. Um, that will be our Christmas special, and I 
and I made sure to save the slot for it, you know? Yeah. So that it he comes out, out on Christmas despite filming it or recording it so many weeks after everything else. Mm-hmm. Because um, the last thing, episode 70, was like last week of October, first week of November. Like, I haven't recorded in a very long time. Okay. And do you know who it was with? No, I don't. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's the first one? I got him while I was in New York. Nice. <laughs> I made him. I, I was like, I was like, Tom, if you are coming to my uncle's house to smoke weed with me, I am bringing my microphone and we are going to record 45 minutes to an hour of a recording before we go see Thor Ragnarok. Okay. <laughs> I was like... I'm paying for your Thor ticket and I'm paying for your bus to my uncle's place. You can record with me. <laughs> and he was just like, I can't fight that. Yeah. So I finally guilted him into fucking recording <laughs> with me. He's one of my best friends and he wouldn't fucking come on to the podcast or listen to it. And really? would, you, would you would you notice his surprise? By the end of the episode, he goes, wow, those stories were pretty good. I go, you fucking asshole. (laughs) Just because you're a fucking English major in graduate school, or you just graduated with your master's in fucking English and writing, doesn't mean the shit I'm reading on these episodes is actual shit. I would say 50% of it is. But I'm also a good enough friend to look at people and say... This is one of the better episodes. And then send it to them. Yeah. I have sent Tom Bongbadil all of your episodes, all of Django's episodes, all of Gestalt's episodes, because they are just like, we read the top tier stories yeah. with these guys. Uh Sir Booberry? The acting group. Yeah, the group that did the acting. And I don't know if you listened to 54 yet. Or not 54. I guess it would be 52. It's something called Mr. Bear's Cellar. Definitely not. That was with a kid I used to act with. Okay. In in high school. His episodes, we just finished a special that's going to end up being... uh, It's going to be 59 and 60. It's called The Whistler's... uh, Huge following on Reddit No Sleep. Like, and, and fucking Tom, when we're done recording, just goes, Oh, wow, those stories were actually... That was really good. You fucking dick. Yeah. You fucking asshole. Of course these stories are good. I've been trying to get you to listen to my fucking podcast for a year now. Oh, man. And now he's, and now he's on, and his episode was pretty good. I'm hoping that he's going to at least listen to his own. I, you know... I hope, I hope so. But you'd you'd be surprised. Mm. I have I have conversations with Disco and Django about their episodes all the time, and they're just like, yeah, I don't listen to them. I just record them with you, and I'm just like, that's okay. I guess you guys are good people. Like, yeah. we we have good episodes. Like, I guess I'm not. I guess I'm glad that you're around to record them with me and experience it with me, but it's okay that you don't want to, like, go through it again. <laughs> like, yeah. that's fine. No, I, I listen to mine. I know you listen to tears. Yeah. It's a good fucking episode. Your yeah. first one's great. Uh, your second one is actually coming out. Uh, it's going to be, like, second week of January. Okay. It's coming. It's coming down the pike. It's actually right after Whistler's. It's the first 
you're 62. So your huh. first one was 43, your second one was 62, and this is 71. So, like, you've been coming back at a healthy rate, I would say just as much as Sir Booberry does. And um, we read some great fucking stories, and we have a pretty random but relatively long one that we're ready to jump into. Uh, even just out of the gate, like, I just finished editing the Odd Kids episode. I am personally just as fun to re-listen to it as it was to experience it. Like, do you remember much about that night? I I don't. Okay. I like I remember the process of doing everything. Yeah. But like, do you remember you, the story? Uh, I did, when you said the Odd Kids, I remembered it. Okay. You know, I like pieced it all together. But prior to you saying that, I was like, I was telling people um, yesterday because uh, you know. We planned this fairly sporadically, but there was still, you know, time. There was, there was, was like, time, yeah. You know, this is what I'm doing tomorrow, blah, 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 because today was... I was editing your episode, and I was like, yeah. shit, you haven't been around in a while, and I also miss you as a person, so, like, yeah. stop by, hang out, and uh, I'm glad I'm glad I did, because you, <laughs> yeah. were, you were in the area. It was, uh, it was excellent timing. Um, this morning, I did all my running around. Oh, Here so we, we did a lot of mushrooms last time. Oh, yeah. And... You can definitely tell. There are just there are points where we, and and I think it's, I think it's fairly accurate. And I, I there's, there's a part of me that's just like, yeah. But at the same time, like I mean, we're our, putting on a show. This is exactly entirely a show. Our our reaction in the shrooms episode is the most legitimate reaction I've ever heard shrooms before. You know, like, you could yeah. watch that movie, uh, the Christmas one, I just watched it recently because of the season, um, what's it called, um, The Night Before, about Joseph oh. Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen, I have, Anthony I've yet Mackie. to see that movie. Um, Everyone keeps telling me I should see Seth it. Seth Rogen does every drug in that movie, like, okay. every, every, like, softcore, like, street drug that's possible, like LSD, mushrooms, uh, smokes a ton of weed, some pills, some coke, like, um, the round robin. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Perfect. Um, that's a good fucking name, man. (laughs) Um, so we, uh, we were watching this movie and I was like, man, mushroom isn't really, mushrooms really isn't like that. I mean, like it's fairly accurate. I think, um, workaholics does a better job of yeah. Explaining the the mushroom thing, though I don't like the Catherine Jada, Zeta Jones song as much as I imagine <laughs> everyone else does. That's um, fair. But yeah, uh, you're just lit, like I can't wait until you listen to it, man. Like I'm I'm gonna have to quiz you because it's it's just like it just sounds so fucking funny. There are just yeah. moments where we zip through shit, and there are moments where we just sit and like laugh about stuff. It's just, it was just really funny. It's just really funny. I do vividly remember, like, the center of my vision was, like, yellow, like, regardless of where I looked. And it just, it was like I was going through, like, a, a sing-along. It was great. <laughs> the bouncing ball, yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that a couple times. Uh, we, we definitely talk about how the words are dancing yeah. on the screen. It's just, it's funny. It's good. It's good-natured humor. <laughs> okay, so, uh, now to the story. This is something called New Fish. Part of me is just hoping it's not military, because that's kind of what I think. Like, like a new batch, like a new, a new recruit, you know, mm-hmm. soldiering through some shit. I hope that's not it, but it might be. And um, even if it is, I think I'll just stick stick with it. That's you know? fair. I'm not necessarily <laughs> against like a, a military style story. Sure, 
I just I work with a lot of military people, so like, that's actually cool. Yeah. Okay, so if if it does turn out to be that, that's cool. Uh, apparently, this is two parts, but each part is just you know, it's just the separation of a part one and part two. I don't know if there's huh. a time jump or anything, but this is this is new fish. This is from Reddit No Sleep. Um, I must have gotten it because it is either popular or well regarded, so it has to have some kind of quality. I'm, I'm ready to um, just jump right in. Do you want to start? I can do that. You can take it away. Where am I? Where, where am I? I was jolted awake about an hour ago, confused and disoriented. My heart was pounding and my sheets were soaked in sweat. Some slaving, malevolent horror was in the trailer with me, creeping up on me while I slept with poised claws and razor teeth. The absolute certainty of this coated my mouth with the metallic taste of fear, sour and dry and thick. I grabbed the baseball bat that lay beneath my cot and tiptoed around the cramped darkness of my trailer, straining to hear over the neem of the outside world and the pounding of my own heart. Of course, there was nothing here except my goldfish and yours truly, the sweaty guy in his underwear. All right, let me stop you there. Is new fish literally about a fucking new fish? I hope so. <laughs> How fucking great would that be, though? Yeah. Like, like now, like now that my expectations are completely <laughs> dashed, like how fucking funny would it be if it's just about a fucking fish? Yeah, maybe the maybe the new fish is eating all the other fish and ends up. Is that really a creepy? Thing? <laughs> all right. I mean, it's not. It's not keep a usual it. thing to happen. Keep feeding it the other fish. <laughs> I get. I, you could continue. I'm yeah. sorry. It was the gusting wind that startled me awake. It happens quite often in late autumn and early winter. The wind rips through the scrub of the skeletal trees that surround the park and charges with a lion's roar into our lonely huddle of a frail little shelters. It gibbers and shrieks and pounds on our walls with fists of death, leaves, and frozen grit. Satisfied that I wasn't about to become chow for some unspeakable creature, I laid back down on my squishy, saggy old cot, tried to get back to sleep, but I couldn't. Instead, I found myself thinking uh, about the night in the penitentiary, the night of lockdown. I kept thinking about Mickey and Big Rob and the rest of them, all of us huddled in a cell with the lights off and the frigid northwest winds howling at the walls. After a while, I gave up on trying to sleep Instead, I, I sat down in front of my computer and started typing. I'm no storyteller, not like Mickey or Hutch, but I'll try my best. When I first came to the pen, and the thing that struck me the most about this place was just how much the cons talk. On the occasions when I'd served time in county jail, there had been talk, sure, but it was terse and impersonal. When they're only serving a few months, I guess a lot of people feel the situation is too temporary to bother forging any ties with their fellow inmates. I'm gonna stop you again. I don't know why I didn't think of it. Jail. New fish. That's like a stereotype. That's that's like a literal thing that they yell. I mean, maybe it's just a Shawshank Redemption that comes to mind. Yeah. But, no, um, I mean, I haven't had... Also, like, yeah, we haven't had yeah. that experience, so I mean, how are we to tell if that's thing, but I feel stupid for not thinking of it yeah. when I read the title. Well, <laughs> New I mean, Fish, 
I'm fairly certain that if I ever go to like a penitentiary, uh, I'm getting raped. That's gonna happen. You know, like it, it would just be like you know, and I'm not accepting it or anything, but uh, sure. it would be one of those things that I would have to get to by sure. the time you know I would have the the proper time to prepare. <laughs> It's funny because, like, I, I agree with you. Like, yeah. every step of the way, I'm just like, yeah, probably. Me too. Me too. <laughs> like, me too. Like, uh, no one fucking really bubble man. <laughs> no one thinks about that. Yeah. But anyway, continue. You play cards with your celly, or you sit in the day room and watch TV in relative silence. Uh, the only time there would ever be any noise or action was when a scrap broke out over a card game. Fights were only things that passed as excitement in county. Every other moment of the day was comprised of dull, boring nothing. Going in, you just hoped that the food wouldn't be too bad, and that your celly wouldn't end up being a gang member or a meth-head biker, uh, waiting out a long patch of dead time. People, in other words, might beat the shit, at, shit out of you to, as a way to pass the hours. <laughs> the pen, though, it's an incredibly noisy, smelly, vocal environment. I remember very clearly uh, the, the moment when my little group of new arrivals were let out of the fish tank and into our new home. A pod housing 200 inmates. I was overwhelmed by the deafening din of voices and activity when the hacks marched us, bundles in hand, out into the rage. And of course, there were the obligatory cat calls and wolf whistling, uh, but most of the cons seemed completely oblivious to us. They were too busy living in the ebb and flow of penitentiary life. Of course, this was not actually true. Cons see everything, and I mean everything, but they talk even more. My first celly wanted both my bail and my ass. In that order, that wasn't happening. I hammered him in the mouth and was on the fight, spilling out of the cell and into the corridor of the pod. He was a big, tough old bull. I had him leaking and his confidence was shaking. Before the COs got to us, I'd managed to get the nasty old fuck face down onto the floor and was whamming away on the back of his head and neck like a jackhammer. Then the hacks got there and one of them laid a size 12 boot upside my skull. The kick knocked my brain clear over the moon. The world immediately went out of focus and it stayed that way for almost 12 hours. Uh, I spent the next three weeks in the hole for fighting, um, and when I got out, I was placed into a different pod. Word had gotten around that this fish wasn't exactly new, and now that I had a mean right cross, nobody bothered to try and roll up on me in the yard that day. When I sat down to chow with my new Sally and some of his boys, no one objected. I had been checked, and I'd passed the test. There wasn't a punk or a sissy. I could sit with the men. Yeah, it's a different world, the pen is. It has wildly different rules. You can't fully understand unless you've been there. It wasn't long before I settled into a routine. Up for the head count and chow. Off to work in the laundry. Chow. Nap. Workout. Chow. And then the struggle to fill the dead hours. Between supper and lights out. There wasn't much to do. The cons played cards, betting with tobacco bales purchased from the commissary and uh, individual hand-rolled smokes. Some watched TV, others watched the wall. Some watched each other. Tensions were always high between the rival gangs. 
Dope fiends spiked what they liked to spike in their bathrooms. Daddies took their sugar boys into rented cells or the showers, and they got some ass pussy while a homeboy held watch for the cops. And there was, of course, a lot of talk. Talk of family back home. Women had and lost of misdeeds proudly done. There were enough stories flying around that place to fill a library. My celly was an old con named Mickey. He had originally been sentenced to 15 years for second-degree murder during a robbery, but he had gotten into so much trouble since landing in the pen that he'd managed to acquire an additional 10 years on top of that. Mickey was doing all day, and he'd made peace with the fact. A good cat all in all. A straight shooter who didn't fuck with the spike. The thing was, he'd kill just about anyone. If he got into his head that he wanted to. In earlier years, Mickey had been a trigger man for the bikers. Uh, he'd been convicted for the murders of six people, uh, and was a suspect in 16 others. And I can well imagine that a number of them had probably been friends of his at one point or another. In certain circles, a good friend can become your murderer in the blink of an eye. That's the kind of people you do time with in maximum security. Mickey and his crew liked nothing better to do than to spend a Sunday evening crowded up in somebody's cell, drinking Pruno and shooting the shit. Personally, I didn't care much for the hooch. It tasted like rotting garbage with a heavy fruit uh, bouquet. But the stories were welcome. When Mickey or one of his homeboys were on a roll, we could all forget ourselves and be somewhere else for a little while. As far as cons go, they were good fucking guys. They were. And these bull sessions were the glue that held Mickey's crew together. I remembered watching and listening for hours on end, spellbound as Mickey or Big Rob or whoever wove a tapestry of words in the thin air around us. They'd make us roar with laughter, clench in rage, and even silently choke up in some sadness. Some of those guys could play a man's emotions like a violin with their storytelling. They were masters of the form. Most of the time, the stories were pretty coarse, which was to be expected. Look where they were coming from. And occasionally, they were downright fucking horrifying. But there's one in particular that I can remember word for word, quite literally, I can actually close my eyes and see Mickey and Rob Hutch and the rest of them sitting there in the cell that night, all of us bathed in the sickly red glow of the emergency lights and transfixed by what we were being told. This particular story likes to pop up in my head when the small, dead hours of the night, when the harsh winds of drab old November lash and rock my rusty little trailer hard enough to wake me up, as they did tonight. Coincidentally, it was on a November night, just like this when I heard the story. I was about a year into my four-year uh, sentence for armed robbery, and this was my second winter in the pen. I recall that the goddamn wind was cutting through the walls really badly that night, and the drafts were freezing our toes solid. There had been a murder that day, and the whole pen was on lockdown. All five pods, and the protective custody unit too. Big Rob Hutch was a man who had his ear to the ground, and he had known that the lockdown was imminent. We had just enough time to make preparations for what was coming. 
Happy for a chance to hang out and get fucked up, seven of us quickly headed into his cell with our bedding, snacks from the commissary, and as much gear as we could get in our hands on. I remember that we were all wrapped up in our thin, scratchy blankets like convict burritos. The blankets were gray and made of rough wool. Upon checking into the razor wire inn, you were issued one and only one. In the winter, blankets were at a premium. Men would fight for them. Sometimes, even kill for them. Mikey and Big Rob were both sitting on the lower bunk. Uh, Coltran and his kid Remy had the top one. I was freezing my ass on the floor along with Nick and Richie. The young pups had to sit on the floor. That's just the way it was. The old cons got to snuggle on their asses into relative comfort of the thin mattress that covered the squeaky spring slats. And in Coltrane's case, the old cons bitch as well. We weren't complaining out loud about it, though we knew better than to do that. Big Rob was a trustee, and one of his duties was to mop the floors in the prison morgue. He was telling us what happened when the coroner performed the autopsy on Strutters. Strutters was a, a junkie who had been suspected of ratting out various other cons to the cops in exchange for smack. He was the reason why the entire pen was on lockdown. He had been discovered in his bunk after lunch, dead as day, old dog shit and full of ragged holes. The shiv was found in the toilet in the shower room. It had been made from plastic bags, heated to melting it with a bick, then compressed to form a sturdy, sturdy little weapon. So I'm mopping up by where they keep the gurneys, and down the hall, the door's a little bit open, so I can see the doc leaning over strutters on the table. He's humming and singing to himself like usual, and I'm smiling at how shitty his voice is, when all of a sudden, Doc says, Holy shit, would you look at that? And then he starts gagging and retching. Then, got his, he actually screams. For real, he fucking screams. He yells, Jesus Christ, it's all over my fucking arm. He runs out of the room, down the hall, and I'm like, what the fuck is that all about? I heard him yelling for his assistants, or whatever they are, the younger ones. They all come running back, and I heard one of the assistants say, Oh fuck, you gotta be kidding me! And then the smell hits me. From all the way down that long ass hallway, and it's putrid, boys. It smelled like a combination of rotting flesh and old shit house in August. I tried to grab my nose and run the fuck out of there. Worst thing I had ever smelled. Nick asked, what was it from? And shifted uncomfortably where he'd sat beside the toilet. He was a good bit younger than me. He just celebrated his 20th birthday a few months ago, and it was his first time in, and he'd drawn the short fucking straw 15 years, eight before he'd be considered for parole. His uncle, fortunately for, for Nick, was also serving time in the same facility. He was in the upper echelon, Hell's Angels, ruled both B-Pod and C-Pod with an iron fist. As a result, Nick was getting the easiest ride for a first-timer to the pen ever had. Coltran and Mikey had personally welcomed the kid into the crew as per the old man's orders. He was fresh-faced and physically soft. I occasionally wondered if he'd ever really known how bad it could have been for him in here. Apparently, Big Rob said, lowering his voice to a husky stage whisper, Stutters was getting checked for pokes and track marks pretty regularly. 
because he got busted for so much possession. So he started shooting it in his ass. But not like in his ass, cheek, you dig? I mean, right into the wall of his rectum. He was shooting it right inside his fucking asshole, man. Can you imagine that? Pretty soon, he developed a fucking horrible abscess because of all the fecal bacteria and crap that was living up his old dirt road. The abscess got infected real bad. After a while, it skinned over with a crust of white blood cells and gross stuff and ballooned out into a giant pus bubble. That bubble got so big that it eventually closed up the poor fucker's ass. And I mean right fucking shut. He was apparently going around like that for weeks, man. For real. Weeks. Must have hurt like a bitch. So the doc saw some kind of bubbling out of the dead fucker's asshole, and he prodded it with his scalpel and pop! Out gushes a metric fuckload of bloody green pus full of dead bacteria and stinking like the devil's balls. Oh, fuck. That's dirty, man. Mikey groaned and mimed throwing all up over Hatch. We were in... We were all wrinkling in our noses in disgust and shaking our heads. Dirty was not nearly adequate for this disgusting image. That ain't, though, my friend. That ain't the worst part, he continued. And the fact was that stutters had been budged up like this fucking balloon for a week or so, you know? It stopped up his shit canal. When the dog popped that thing with his scalpel, oh hell, it was a literal shitstorm! It spurred out of his ass like a high-pressure hose. We regarded that image for a moment or two in stunned silence. I felt a bit ill. So fucking dirty! Mikey roared. Despite what I just heard, I had to laugh. Coltrans and the other joined in. Remy just looked disgusted. He was filing his nails. Remy was no longer just another cell block punk, a weaker man that traded what he had to trade in order to get by in a world dominated by strength. In recent months, he'd gone and went full-blown sissy. After a year or two of enduring the subservient female role at our receiving end of Coltrane's hot leg, Coltrane was, in fact, the one who turned Remy out in the first place. He'd finally stopped playing the part of a woman and was now living it. It was apparent that he'd started taking illicit female hormones. His arm hair was thinning out. It seemed that he had recently grown the barest suggestion of breasts beneath his orange jumpsuit. By the time I got out of the pen, Remy had changed his name to Rihanna and was the wife of, get ready for this, none other than Nick's uncle, the unofficial king of pods B and C. Rihanna was known for causing savage fights amongst inmates who were vying for his attention. That, incidentally, was how Coltrane ended up earning an unexpectedly early parole, a backdoor parole, as they call it, because you don't leave through the front gate when you're dead. So the doc got shit on by a corpse, said Richie in a slow and dreamy tone. It was puss-covered shit. That's fucked up, man. Hey, do you think that happens a lot to him? Or was that, like, the first time? Richie had snorted some hydromorphine earlier, and now he was somewhere in the clouds, floating around with a stone grin on his face. 
Richie, that's just fucking... Mikey trailed off. Actually, it's a good question. Want some hooch, boys? I was just opening my mouth to say fuck no, and then there was a pop and everything was dark. The cons began yelling and hooting all across the pod, both tears on both sides. Big Rob yelled, Shut up, you fucking idiots! It's a blackout, for Christ's sakes! Pipe the fuck down! And for a wonder, some of them actually did it. The thing was, Big Rob Hunch, well, was just that. Big. He was as big as a buffalo. I was surprised that the lower bunk could support both Rob and Mikey, who was not exactly small himself. The emergency light snapped on, soft and red and eerie. It made the common area of Pod C look like a scene from an apologetic horror movie. Apocalyptic. Apocalyptic horror movie. That makes a little more sense. Uh, We could see the guard standing there in the guard hut through the bulletproof glass, waiting to see how the cons were going to react to the power going down during a lockdown. Not only were we being sequestered in our cramped little cells for an indeterminable length of time, but we had also been rendered unable to properly read a book. A number of cons who actually could read and did, or see your hand while you were playing cards, or even to listen to the radio for Christ's sake. The hack was a dark figure, swathed in dim red, his body language alert and poised for action. I'm pretty sure it was Robson who was the boss on hut duty that night. Robson was a dead-eyed, square-jawed oaf without an ounce of empathy in his whole body. And he just so happened to have a 12-gauge shotgun on hand with a modified choke. I fervently hoped that no one would take it into their heads to start some serious shit. Because if they did, there was a good chance we'd all regret it. There was a lot of hollering and door kicking around the pod, but it soon became apparent that their ruckus was just for show and was half-hearted at best. We all silently thanked whoever might be listening to that emergency reaction team wasn't going to be called in. The ERT didn't fuck around. Kevlar suited and anonymous in their visored helmets, they'd march onto the pod and indiscriminately barge into cell after cell, busting heads and whopping out teeth with their batons. Hell, you might even get shot and the ERT shoot to kill. Richie broke the silence. Man, I was getting real worried there for a minute. If the fucking goon squad busted in here and found all our shit, we'd be dicked. Richie was doing six years for selling pills. The sentence for a second time loser. Oxycontin and hydrocodone were his chemicals of choice. Faced with the boredom of prison life, he'd started using the products he sold. He was a straight up junkie by Christmas of that year. Mikey didn't care about anyone using his junk. Would even have a little snort here and there himself. But he didn't like addicts, not one bit. He cut Richie out of the crew. Addled by junk, plagued by debt, weak and alone, Richie ended up bunking with some fellas from the top tier across from us. The black tier. In a maximum security penitentiary, this has unpleasant connotations. Business might occur between the color lines, but that's generally where any benign fraternization ends. You might not be racist when you're on the outside, but when you're inside, you don't have much choice. 
to be blunt, it's like this. If you're white, you stick with the whites. The black and the Hispanic cons don't want to be your buddy, and vice versa. There are, for a variety of reasons, a large number of hostilities between the color lines. They'll stomp the shit out of you. Or worse. When we got word that Richie had been seen walking his face cast down up the stairs to that second tier, well, we knew. Richie had heavy debts, forced to either trade himself or die. Richie had chosen life. Jesus. I felt horrible for how it ended for Richie, I still do. His desperate last bid to cling to this wretched mortal existence only prolonged the inevitable. He was dead within a month. One day after enduring his morning gang rape, something must have finally snapped in Richie's head. His will to live crumbled and fell. Richie stayed behind while his tormentors went down for morning chow, and he stuck a spike in his arm for the last time. High as a kite, Richie then hung himself from the corner post of his top bunk. He did it with a rope made of knotted-together socks. I'm rambling now, aren't I? Sorry, I do that sometimes. You'll just have to bear with me, I guess. I'm not good at this, not like Mikey or Hutch. I'm just a lonely guy who can't sleep some nights. When the shrieking wind could be mistaken for the wailing of lost souls, shaking and rattling the windows in their frames. Even though I was released from the pen 15 years ago, I can't shake the feeling that I'm somehow still inside. But I suppose that we're all imprisoned by something on some level, aren't we? On nights like tonight, my prison is this rusty trailer. It's my pathetic, menial job. My divorce. My raw, red-eyed fury, unfocused and impotent. It's sorrow and regret. On nights like tonight, my prison is the past and my inability to leave it behind. So there we all are. Sitting there in the weird red gloom and listening to all the yelling and bullshit slowly die down, Richie abruptly went on the nod. Nick balanced a shoe on his head. We all chuckled. Coltrane started talking about the hockey game that was about to start, then abruptly shut up. We were on lockdown with no electricity. There would be no hockey game that night. Not for us. We passed the J around, and when that one roached, we passed another. Finally, Mikey spoke up and broke the silence. So... Who's up for some Twilight Zone shit tonight? <laughs> and what's funny is I've gotten that kind of vibe from this. I've gotten a very Rod Serling, you know, 50s. Yeah, I was actually just about to, like, find a spot to ask you. So what... This is from, from Reddit, correct? This is No Sleep. Okay. Yeah, that was that was my question, is which branch? Because I wasn't sure which direction was going to turn. And I'm, I was really actually hoping it would take, like, the Shawshank Redemption sci-fi twist at some point. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of it's now le- it's now leaning to a kind of unbelievable way. Yeah, yeah. I got a good one for you. You remember the last time the power went out, Hutch? Hutch shot him a dark look, then did something very unusual for Harden Khan. He shuddered. You want to tell the boys that story? I don't know, man. Why not? Fuck the lights are out and the winds are howling. Perfect time for it. Okay, fuck, let's do it. <laughs> no, wait, I have, I have to do your Big Rob voice. Okay, fuck, let's do it. <laughs> Big Rob cleared his throat and said, Okay, boys, it's time for a scary story. Crowd around the fucking campfire and grab a cup of this fine wine. <laughs> I live too close to Delaware County. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just funny that, like, the kind of, like... <laughs> The yeah. big, the big con that you imagine is almost like a fucking New Yorker. I was going a little more Philly, but were you really? I, I, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, either one. The the Italian stereotype from either city. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's more of a brandy, I think, Hutch. Mikey grinned and offered me some. Reluctantly, I accepted a styrofoam cup of the murky, eye-watering stuff, and I steeled myself to swallow it. I was feeling a bit happier now. I've always been a fan of spooky stories. His voice stern, Mikey growled. Okay, first things first, this shit is 100% true, got it? We're not bullshitting about any of this. For real. So don't tell us that we're full of shit, or you can go have a fucking sleep over there with that asshole over in the hack shack. Got it, Richie grunted, then flopped over onto the floor. He was out of it. This all went down a long time ago before any of you were here. At least 12 years. I'd say... Mikey? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know who's talking, and we've established voices. I think I, I this have a, is Big Rob talking to Mickey, Mikey, whatever. Or is this Hutch? It might be Hutch. Mickey and Big Rob were the only two that were there at the time. No, he looked over at Hutch. Okay, yeah, he's talking to Hutch. Yeah, for sure. At least that long back when these little punks were still giving out hand jobs in juvie. <laughs> it was a while back anyways. Me and Mikey were here both running with different crews back then and to different shit, but we knew each other. I guess I would have been about your age, he said, pointing down at me. So one day the fish tank had just been emptied out into the pod and there's a new fish with them that immediately starts turning heads. I was playing checkers on the tier upstairs when they all came walking through the gate looking like a bunch of lost little lambs down there on the range. They came toddling in behind a couple of the hacks and at the end of the line is the prettiest little sweet boy this whole penitentiary has ever seen. I don't play no grab ass like Coltrane up there, but this kid, he was, I don't know, almost like an angel or something. He was too perfect, like a picture out of a magazine, you know? Slender and fair-haired, teeny bopper, heartthrob material. Yeah, the kid was pretty alright, and he looked like he'd be easy to punk. <laughs> It was Big Rob. Big Rob took a moment <laughs> to pause and force back a swig of the awful cloying pruno, a noxious blend of fermented fruit, sugar packets, and yeast. As he grimly swallowed it down, Mikey jumped in and continued the story. The new fish immediately drove the whole pod completely fucking nuts. The wolves were losing their minds for real. The guards were looking worried. A pretty kid like that can cause a lot of hard feelings between the bulls. Hard feelings usually turn into murder. So they released the other fishies to care of the boss of that guard hut, then hustled the pretty boy off to protective custody post-fucking haste. They kept him there for a few days, but the wolves didn't forget about him, not for a moment. All the time, they're asking about the kid to the trustees who had access to PC. They're asking if this kid's lonely, if he wants a candy bar, or a fuck book, or a baggie of fucking horse, whatever the kid might possibly want. They're handing the trustees love notes to give to him. Money, weed, all kinds of shit. Finally, a con named Holbrook called in some heavy favors, and the hacks moved the kid back into the pod more to the point, into Holbrook's cell. I remember watching as the hacks walked the young fellow across the pod and up the stairs to his new home. The kid had no expression in those wide blue eyes. None at all. Just blank. Holbrook was a big, greasy son of a bitch, real nasty. You could smell him from 20 feet away. Complete psycho, that guy. Man, I'll tell you, watching as Bookie grinned and waited on the door for his cell of his little bunky to arrive, hell, it made me feel sorry for the kid. He was planning to do bad things to that boy. You could see it in his grin. 
he was gonna hurt him. No expression at all, though, on that kid's face. I remember thinking that fishy was either brave as fuck or just too stupid to understand what was in store for him. Rob tossed back the rest of the hooch in his Dixie cup and tried not to gag. Gah! This shit is just fucking awful. Who brewed this? His voice sounded dry and burnt. Our fine neighbors just down the hall, that's who. Mikey chuckled. They managed to hide it in the toilet tank long enough to get her finished, and holy Jesus, ain't it nasty. Fuck. I think I'm going blind already. <laughs> Hutch held out his cup, and Mikey poured him another glurt out of the plastic bag, taking care to make sure that the sock he was using as a filter didn't slip out and spill rotting fruit cocktail all over his bunk. I tried a sip of mine and almost retched. They all had a good hearty heart at this, except for Richie, I guess. Richie was still laying on the floor, his eyelids fluttering and twitching. It broke more than a few hearts to see Holbrook get his dirty hooks into that kid first. He would wreck that kid's asshole and destroy his soul. That was the general consensus. Come morning, they'd be rolling that kid out of the infirmary and afterwards probably stick him back into PC for a 24-hour suicide watch. Even if he did come back to the pot again, no one would that kid not after permanent damage the bookie was liable to do to him see how lucky you are coltrane said to remy and the little frenchman smiled down at his nails in response then kept filing them delicately with all of his concentration every now and then i wonder if remy was already planning the flirtations and indiscretions that would inevitably result in coltrane's murder his skull smashed in with a 20 pound dumbbell in the weight pit coltrane the bull queer, who had taken Remy's manhood and eventually transformed him into something that he probably never wanted to be. Thinking about it now, I'm pretty sure he was, and I can't blame him for it. Rob told us. I heard screaming that night. It was muffled, but I could still hear it. So did my celly. Back then, it was old Johnny Franzini. I, whis <laughs> I whispered up at him, hey, hey, you hear that shit, man? And he answered, real matter of fact, that boy he had to know it was coming, eh? He's too pretty like a girl to be in this place. He should have never come here. As if the guy had fucking volunteered or something. I just shook my head and I told Johnny to go to sleep. I felt so bad for the kid, you know? I think that was one of the worst nights I ever had in here. I heard it too. Mikey interjected. I think we all did, including the bosses on duty that night. But no one went to check on him. Because money makes the fucking rules around here, not the warden or the government. It's money, and I don't doubt that sick fuck offered a big coin for the kid, and some cold son of a bitch sold him without a second thought. Hutch nodded sourly. Money's a whore. That's okay, though, because there's a thing called karma, too. When morning came, lo and behold, Brookie ain't standing outside his cell waiting to be accounted for, neither is the kid. A whisper popped up real quick and spread down the lines like a breeze, and it said, Holbrook went apeshit on the kid last night and killed him. He's waiting in his cage for the ERT to come in and bust his head. The boss doing the head count paused at Holbrook's cell, and every con craned his head to see what's going to happen next, all of us in unison. I seen the hack pull out his radio with one hand and his club with the other. He started talking real fast into the radio. At the same time, he's slowly walking 
towards the door of Brookie's cell with his club poised to bash a skull in like he's trying to ward someone off. He started yelling for the other hacks to get the fuck over there pronto. They all came thundering past with their keys jangling about their boots clomping, and then we all got ordered to step back into ourselves with empty bellies. I heard him down there, Brookie's cell, yelling into the radios and stomping around, and then I heard someone barf. I heard the puke splatter on the tiles. Do you like all the voices? I do. <laughs> Hutch, yeah. Hutch is country old fuck. Yeah, it's like almost Cold Eastwood. Coltrane is the train from Gears of War, which is just deep black man voice. <laughs> okay. Big Big Rob is like weathered New York Philly Italian. Yeah. And Mikey is kind of like average gangster, like just kid now. Yeah. And then just regular speaking voice. We, we did this together, I want you to know that. We, we definitely did. You definitely started this. I, I did. We had to stay in our cells for a few hours, and there was a lot of bitching. I remember being totally, completely pissed at Holbrook, me, and Johnny F. We'd assumed that he'd gone psycho on the new fish and cut the kid's throat while he was fucking him or some shit like that. But then some of the emergency response guys came past wheeling a gurney, and when they wheeled it past us again... He could have knocked me flat with a pea shooter because it was Holbrook strapped in there, not the kid. I only saw him for a few seconds, but I remember that his face was fucked. It was mostly gone, stripped right down to the bloody sinew and bones. No skin or muscles left. It was fucking gruesome. I kind of gasped out loud and even closed-mouthed, crooked-nosed old Johnny Franzini had to look twice and say, Hey, what the fuck? <laughs> the only, they only... Way I knew it was him was the hair, a big greasy mop of it like a caveman. The sheet covering the body was soaked right through the blood. I think that the rest of him had matched his face. Nick whistled and said, fuck man, that's hardcore. Then sparked another joint. We floor dwellers had almost forgotten about the discomfort of our numb behinds and tingling feet. We'd forgotten the lockdown and the power outage and even poor strutters who'd not only died a violent death, but had also died with his ass blocked up by a cystic sore that's the size of a man's fist. <laughs> Mikey and Hutch were telling a story, and we were living it, you know what I mean? We were right there. Mikey said, Must have been five minutes later, the cops are rolling in, crazy-looking thing down a block, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? To my celly, and he, he don't know either. Before too long, they roll past again, and I'm like, oh shit, look at this. You ever see Silence of the Lambs? The dolly cart thing that they strap Anthony Hopkins into when they're moving him? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And they've got this kid strapped into it, bite mask and everything, and the kid is soaked in blood, man. It was dripping off his clothes, and I could hear it pattering on the floor around him. They left a trail on the floor. They let us out for breakfast about a half hour after that, but by then, it was almost lunch, and we got served a fucked up mix of warm lunch and cold breakfast. There was talking going on than eating, though, and everyone was saying the same thing we were all saying. What the fuck did the kid do to him? Most people thought that he must have gotten hold of Bookie Shivers somehow, then sliced the fucker's shit right off, whittled him down right to the bone. But Brookie was a really big dude, and the guy was a crazy motherfucker. How about a skinny little bitch like that having overpowered a bad dude like Holbrook so easily? Well, we didn't know. The joint traveled across the floor, folk, and then handed up the bunks. Mikey hit it hard and made that funny choking noise that older guys sometimes do when they're holding it in a big toke, nasal and strangled. He gave Nikki the thumbs up and blasted out smoke like a grizzled old dragon. 
Now I know Mickey's supposed to be old. <laughs> or Mikey. Shit's pretty good, Nikki. Good score. Gotta get some of that. So yeah, the kid. He got rolled off to the hole in his fucking Hannibal Lecter dolly and they had him in a super tight lockdown. Nobody even catches a glimpse of him. They had this kid on a 24-hour watch and the whole works. A couple trustees tried asking the hacks what happened with him and Brookie and they got told to mind their own business and mop the fucking floors. The kid was in the hole for a week and then two and then a month. All the while, ain't no one heard a peep about him getting charged with murder. There was a rumor going around that the coroner said in his report that Holbrook had died from a heart attack. Maybe his heart seizing up was the thing that actually killed him, sure, but there wasn't any mention of the way he'd been carved up like a Sunday turkey, not at all. Mikey poured himself another round of refreshment, and the stink of the open bag made my eyes water. Hutch smiled a little, an action with no real humor behind it. Well, tongues were wagging as they tend to do, and pretty soon people were saying that maybe the kid wasn't natural. That he did Brookie in with his teeth. That he ate the fucker alive like some sort of monster. Guys were even saying that the priest paid him a visit in the hole and ended up leaving with tears in his eyes, actually fucking crying and shit. Wouldn't say that happened, just that he didn't want to talk to the kid never again. He quit working here long after that happened, just up and quit. And I heard that the Padre ended up selling his house and moving away. Like across the country. Somewhere far, far away. Mikey's iron-grained beard split with a slight grin of his own. Now here is where shit gets really weird. So, are, are you cool continuing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because this is, this is going to be a long one, folks. We still got half of it to go. So... Yeah. stick in there um we got we got big rob italian countryman hutch yeah red gangster mikey uh, young coltrane young is, and nicky coltrane yeah. old black guy remy femme femme oh, queer yeah. puss if, if yeah. remy does end up saying Bri- anything Brianna. <laughs> but anyway um you know, as far as I'm concerned, read read the voices however you want to read them. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna try and stick to it. Uh, I, <laughs> We've I'm been sure, establishing too many roles. Yeah, I'm sure at some point I'm gonna get confused, but I did. Yeah, that com- that comes with the territory. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you take it. Big Rob grunted, Billy Tremont, <laughs> and hurled hard on the joint, decimating it into a smoldering ember between his thick fingers. Yeah, him. Billy Tremont. He was a hack who worked the night shift. I'll tell you something. He was just as dirty as they come. Fucking guy wasn't on the take. He was on the take, you know. What I'm saying? As much as he was a gangster as any of the boys in here, he controlled what came into the pen and when and who got it and how much they got. The dude squeezed out whatever competition he had from the other cops that were playing the game by any means available. He set him up to get fired, paid to have shit kicked out of him by the bikers, you name it. He was a complete fucking asshole. He was also real good at getting you what you wanted. For a price. Well, it's a fact that people love a mystery, especially people who ain't got fuck all to do with their time. A few guys pulled together some cash. They came to Billy, because if anybody could find the answers to their questions. Billy Tremont could do it. Billy laughed and tells them that he'd love to take the money, but he couldn't do what they were asking. He says, 
the weird little bastard didn't have no file. As far as I can tell, I don't know who he was, why he came here, or where he came from. No one does. And that's the goddamn truth. The guys called him a bullshitter, and Billy got serious on them. He narrowed his eyes, and he said to him, You guys don't think I tried to find out my, for myself already? Huh? Far as I can tell, the kid kind of just sort of popped into the fish tank out of thin air. Looks to me like everyone kept processing him along because no one wanted to admit that they didn't know who the fucking kid was. Call me a liar again? I'll beat the fear of God into him. It was clear that they weren't going to get anywhere with Billy. So the guy's, wait a minute. What kid? Which one's the kid? Richie's eyes look black and bottomless pools. I remember that. He had already sunk deep into the mindless tar of addiction by then. He was at the point of no return. You could see it in his eyes. Shut up, dummy! Rob turned to Mickey and made a gesture that said, please continue. Mickey gave Rich a cold stare and then said, so the guys give up and say, fuck it then. And that's all for a while. Life goes on and then a day comes when Billy sidles up to one of the cons while he's standing in the morning chow line tells him that he's found some information on the fish. If anyone still cared to know, Billy was looking bad, they said. He looked tired and scared. That night, Billy came to see the guy in his cell after lights out. He asks the guy for a smoke, and Billy had quit smoking years ago. Billy says to him, I don't want any money for this. Keep your lousy fucking money. I don't want to be the only one that can't sleep at night is all. You pieces of shit got into my head. I couldn't get him out. Fuck you for doing that. Fuck you people sideways. The guy that said Billy Tremont's hands were shaking so fucking bad that he could hardly get his smoke lit. Billy tells the con that curiosity had been eating him fucking alive, so he spent some time thinking on how to get about getting what he wanted. Then he picks the mock. Billy always had his ear to the ground, you know, the type. He knew this and that, and who did what, where, and why. He knew stuff about people. He knew that one of the suits in the office had a bad coke habit, the kind of raging habit that most people can't afford for long. He also knew that the suit and the warden were both banging the same chick, the warden's secretary. Billy gave him a quarter ounce of good rock cocaine and told him what he wanted. He promised to shoot the guy an eight ball on top of what he already gave him if the guy could deliver the goods. The suit came back a few days later with the sniffles and a file folder that looked older than the Bible. It was made out of some sort of kind of rough, crumbling old cardboard dry as dust. The office stip says the warden's secretary told him where to find it, locked up in a cabinet in the warden's office. He said that he'd put himself in all kinds of danger to get it, and he wanted more than a ball for his troubles. He wanted more than a quarter, too. Billy told him that he could either take the ball or Billy would let the warden know that one of his minions wasn't just a cokehead and a thief, but dipping his wick into the warden's honeypot, too. Billy told the suit that the ass-fucking that the warden would give him wouldn't be anywhere near as bad as the ones the wolves would deliver. The guy shut his yap, took his eight ball, 
and they parted ways. So in between drags of smoke, Billy tells the Khan a first document in the folder with pages taken from a court transcript, some backwater courthouse sitting way out in the cow country. They were handwritten with an old-time pen, Bill said. You know, the kind that they had to dip in the fucking inkwell, then pat dry against the blotter so the shit don't smear. That's how old the thing was. All the dates, the kid's name, were scribbled out, Billy said. But he figured that the first document in the folder were from the late 1800s. Nick snorted. What? That isn't even possible. Mickey shrugged. It is what it is, Nicky. The transcript said that the kid had been charged with multiple murder, practicing satanic rites, cannibalism, arson, mayhem. He was only 16 years old when they tried him. The prosecutor wanted to hang him for his crimes, but the defense lawyer said the Crown hadn't appointed some greasy little fucker. He argued that it would be godly to let the kid live out the rest of his days in jail, seeing as the kid was known to be an orphaned vagrant who raised himself in the woods. No moral guidance in the woods. That was the argument. The jury ended up getting all pious and committed the kid's date with the rope to a life sentence. They shipped him off to the clink. The very first night, he killed his cellmate. Killed him with his nails and teeth and then ate the poor son of a bitch. Cotran looked disturbed. Holy fuck. This is horror movie stuff. I'm sorry, but you guys have got to be shitting us. Mikey shrugged again. Kinda wish I was, but I'm not. Not according to Billy Tremont, anyway. Billy said they struck the kid in a loony bin for the criminally insane after he ate his cellmate. Put him in a straitjacket. At some point, the quacks realized that the usual treatments weren't working for shit, so they decided to give the kid a lobotomy. He was out like a light from the ether, and they were just getting ready to start when the kid suddenly breaks his arm restraints and sinks his teeth into the lead surgeon's throat, just like a goddamned wolf. Ripped it right out. There's no way he should have been able to still be conscious, yet alone able to snap out of those thick bands of leather. But he was, and he did. Way I heard it, Hutch said. He killed the quack. They put the kid on the stand. And at the time, he got 12 votes for death. They took him to the town square and marched the kid up to the gallows. With all the townspeople screaming and throwing moldy bread and cow shit at him, he was laughing at him. The hangman put the ropes around his neck. He kindly asked the kid if he had any less repentance words to share with the crowd, and the kid says loud and clear, There's nothing to repent in doing what you want. I'd fuck your mother's ass and fry up her heart if I wanted to. And after I was done picking my teeth, I wouldn't be so much as to fart her a blessing. Why should I? So the cops beat on the kid with their clubs in a bit, put the hood on the little fucker, and the hangman pulls the lever. But the trapdoor wouldn't open. He fiddled with it and tried three more times. Each time, the fucking door wouldn't swing open. They didn't know what to do. All the while, the kid was laughing and cursing at them, praising the devil, just being a general pain in the ass. People were screaming for him to swing. It was getting ugly out there, and fast. So someone gets the bright idea that they could just put the kid up against a wall and shoot him, and be done with it. 
Only that didn't work either, Mikey added. His words were becoming thick and slurred. Sounded like the hooch was starting to do the trick. He put the kid up against the brick wall. Five cops took aim on him. Five cops pulled the trigger. Five guns misfired. (laughs) They tried again and the same shit happened. By now, the people watching were getting spooked. Crowd of farmers and mill workers who came out to watch the kid hang. They all suddenly had places to go. Everyone left. The Lord's Prayer was on for a few good sets of lips as they went, I'd bet. When they were gone, the cops packed the kid into the wagon because there was nothing else they could do. They took him back to the courthouse and, after some debating behind closed doors, the judge had him sent to a different jail, where he was locked up in an unused room in the basement. Then they boarded up the door and then, for good measure, they bricked the whole thing over. Richie attempted to focus his eye on Mikey and asked, Can they? Can they really do that, ma'am? Just like put someone in a hole and brick the fucker over? Nick spoke up. His voice was hoarse. Maybe not these days, but we're talking back when a lot of people didn't even have a birth certificate. Sure, they could have done that. Who'd ever know? He lit another joint past it. So what, ma'am? They, like... They just left the crazy little fucker there to die? Richie appeared to be in the grip of dubious species and moral outrage. Good question, Richie. Maybe you haven't killed every single brain cell yet, after all. Mikey slurred back some more of the noxious hoop and grimaced. Billy Tremont said they were only two other documents in the folder. An extremely fucking old mugshot and a report to the Board of Corrections from a sanitation engineer. It was written sometime in the 50s. He'd been down in the old basement at the very same prison where they walled up the kid. He was down there checking out the old ship pipes. It didn't have fuck all to do with what he was looking for, but the engineer mentioned in the report that he'd found a bricked over doorway down there. Curiosity got the better of him and he tore down the old crumbling brick with the crowbar, pried the boards off, and popped the door open. You know what he found? A skeleton? Richie muttered. He was struggling to keep his eyes from sliding shut. No. Nothing. That's what he found. When he forced the door open, the room was empty. We all took a few moments to digest this. And then the bulldog ate his gun. Don't forget about that. Hutch rumbled. He handed the J over to Nicky. Nick curled his lips in disgust. Who's slobbering on this shit? He demanded. It's wet as fuck. Gross, man. Fucking gross. No one owned up to the deed. Nick started to bitch about it some more. Hutch gave him that look. The one that said, shut up immediately. Or regret it. Nick shut up. Mikey snickered. Thank you kindly, Hutch. And Nicky? Come on, kiddo. Just pitch off the wet part and stop your bitching. Anyway, that fucking prick bulldog, he was one of the least loved hacks in the entire history of this joint. Real genuine, died-in-the-wool piece of shit. He was still a, f- a few years south of retaining when all this happened. 
late 50s, I'd say. A huge, fat, rat-faced motherfucker he was. Mirren fuck. His blood pressure was right off the scale all the time. Nothing he liked better than to fix an excuse to smash some unfortunate bastard upside the head. He'd do it with a sock full of quarters. And then he kept hanging on his belt. When you heard the jingle of the changes, straightened up and stopped fucking around until it was gone. It was nasty old fuck was in a mood. You steered clear and kept your big mouth shut. So they put this fucking guy on watch in the kid's cell doing the graveyard shift, right? He was alone too. No partner or nothing. I guess the other hacks didn't like this fat, mouthy fuck either. <laughs> he was night after night, just him, this creepy fucking kid, all night long. Normally, this wouldn't have been very good for the con being watched, me alone with a tired, grumpy bulldog and no witnesses. It would have been a long, long season in hell for most cons. But the fish wasn't the usual white boy dummy we got in here. You know what I mean? Like a kid who got mixed up in something stupid. And then wasn't rich enough to buy his way out of it. Not this fish. He was something else entirely. Mikey paused to force down a big glurt of Pruno. Matt Hutch jumped in. Well, old Bulldog only lasted about a month before he goes to his shift supervisor and requests that he be taken off the watch. The head screws office dog was, was open a bit, and some dude named, uh, Tags or Rags, some shit like that, I can't remember. Anyway, he supposedly overheard most of the conversation while he was waiting to see the warren. Why was he waiting to see the warren? Richie mumbled. As per usual, Richie, he wasn't really getting the main focus of the story. Fucking rattle on someone, right? Fucking goof. I hate those fuckers. Rats need to get hurt, bro. Fucking rats need to get... Jesus, Richie. Just go on the knot or something, would you? You're a waste of skin. Hutch looked dangerously displeased. Richie grinned a bag of groony grin and whispered, Fucking rats, now. Hutch frowned at him thunderously, then continued. So tags or rags or whatever hears Bulldog say what he wants off the watch... His boss asked him why he wouldn't say. Just that he's tired and he doesn't like watching the kid. Boss asks if he wants a partner and Bulldog says nope. He just wants off the goddamn watch and that's it. So the head screw huffs and puffs and blows on him. He gives Bulldog some shitty speech about not wanting to abruptly change everyone's schedule for one fucking guy. And how if he did do that, little Johnny wouldn't see daddy up in the fucking stands at his next ball game and it would fuck him up for life. You know, guilting the fat prick, that sort of thing. Then he tells Bulldog no and sends him on his way. So Bulldog went home and he drank a bottle of whiskey and then stuck his service pistol in his mouth and pulled the trigger. Nicky roached the al alleged slobbered on joint and blew a tremendous lungful of smoke. There was no way the smell of dank was rolling through the whole goddamn pod by then. None of us were concerned about it. If everyone's behaving themselves, the CO would leave us to our vices in peace. The situation was volatile enough already. Mikey piped up. This is a sad thing, you know. When one of us strings ourselves out and gets his hands on a razor blade, no one gives a fuck. The hacks saw laugh at you because your bowels go and you're fucking shitting yourself when you're dead. 
and you're obligatory. Life goes on and no one gives you a second thought. But this asshole sticks a gun in his yapper and blows his brains out on top of his head and hell. Suddenly he's a hero. There's even a big article in a local paper about how the stress of being a correctional officer causes depression and blah, blah, blah. Sensitive souls can't handle the gravity of the reality of working in the drugged out fucking convict assholes. It's kind of laughable, really. Whoever wrote the article didn't know Bulldog personally, that's for sure. Hutch interjected, but the fucking newspaper didn't mention nothing about what actually drove the piggy to pull the trigger and ventilate his own skull. Fuck no. No mention of the kid at all. The kid was the warden's nasty little secret. Because they still don't know who the fuck the kid was or where he came from. And one way or another, the creepy little bastard was making people dead. All they had to do on was up an old court document that read like a horror book, a passing mention in a sanction report, and a black and white picture of someone who looked like the kid but couldn't possibly be the kid. I was suddenly aware that I was getting a bit freaked out. In this soft red gloom, stoned out of my tree, every word that Mikey and Hutch uttered seemed frighteningly plausible. I cleared my throat and announced, I gotta tell you guys, this is a fucked up story. Getting creeped out down here. Hutch blinked down at me with inebriated surprise. Shit, I forgot you were even down there. Quite a little fucker, ain't he? More bubbly in your cup, my friend. I still hadn't managed to finish my first helping of the vile stuff. I shook my head and finished up Nikki's doobie instead. Mike lapsed into silence. And we were silent with him. Even Richie. In the silence, something drawed on me. Hey, Mickey. When they brought the kid into a different jail and walled him up, after they couldn't execute him, that was this place, wasn't it? When you guys saw him, he wasn't a new fish at all. The kid was the oldest con in the entire joint. I do like it so far. Me too. I really like it. This one's pretty smart, Mikey, Hutch said. Compared to Richie, he's a fucking scholar. We should make him our treasurer or something, what do you think? We ain't got nothing to treasure here, old man. Not in this fucking shithole. Mikey poured himself another shot, the eye-watering concoction in the bag. Yeah, you got her, buddy. According to Billy Tremont, it was right underneath this very building. He let out a raspy sigh and hoisted off his Dixie cup of hooch. To Billy Tremont, he said, I sincerely hope God took it easy on you. How'd he die? Nick asked, and Mikey flashed that humorless smile again. Not long after Bulldog ate some lead, we woke up with the sound of gunshots in the middle of the night again. They found Billy Tremont dead in the CO's locker room. His brains and bits of his skull were sliding down the wall beside his body like snails. The coroner declared that it was another suicide, but here's the thing. They found five chunks of lead embedded in a wall at chest height and one in his brain. There was a full cup of coffee spilled on the floor beside him, and he still had a vacation request clutched in his free hand. Mikey leaned back against the wall and let out a scornful gust of air. So according to the official report, here's Billy sipping on a fresh coffee, just about to go into the office and request some vacation time, (laughs) when suddenly, right then and there, with no warning or reason, he decides to shoot himself. But before he does that, he fires all the bullets in his service pistol into the wall, except for the one that he fires through his own temple. That's a hell of an odd way to commit suicide, don't you think? Nick I mean, it sounds like a pretty pretty good way to go. <laughs> pretty solid plan. <laughs> Nick looked disturbed. The 
kid came for him. That's what happened, isn't it? He appeared very young and very vulnerable in the dim crimson light, his face unlined and guileless. It got out of its cell and it was coming for him. The cop tried to shoot him and then turned the gun on himself before it could get at him. Can't say for sure, Nicky. The only guy who can is 13 years in his grave. Remy tentatively cleared his throat from the top bunk. You said something to Hutch about the power going out before, and something that happened when it did. What were you talking about? Nah, maybe we should get... Maybe we shouldn't get into that tonight. Hell, might as well tell him the rest, Hutch rumbled. Gone this far, haven't we? A week after Billy bit the dust, a storm rolled in and knocked the power out clear across the county. We were all herded into our cells and told to shut the fuck up and behave. A lot of the hacks couldn't make it work that night on account of the roads being all fucked up with the accidents and torrential rain and shit, so the bosses who did make it to work were all carrying heavy firepower. They made it clear that they weren't going to fuck around if somebody got out of hand. Right around midnight, I heard a shotgun go off somewhere on the other side of the pen. Can't mistake the sound. If you're familiar to it, I was wide awake and on my feet in a heartbeat. Then. Sort of muffled and far away, I heard screaming. There was a boss standing nearby my cell, and over his radio a voice was squawking, He's out! He's out of his cell and killed Amesley! He's ripping everyone apart! Get off your asses and over to solitary now! The hack took off running and toward and turned to and I <laughs> oh and I and I turned to Johnny Franzini, but he stole the words right out of my mouth. He said, The boy, he is loose. This is bad. It was dark in there, but I'm pretty sure I saw Johnny cross himself. Mikey's eyes glittered at us in the semi-darkness, glassy from a drink, and wide from the memory on his lips. There was a second gunshot, and then a whole lot more. They echoed and boomed, scared us shitless. When they tapered off, we heard more screaming. It sounded like animals at a slaughterhouse, squealing and bucking while they breathed their last. Me and Selly, we fucking hid in the corner with a mattress in front of us. We didn't know what the fuck was happening. Just as the hacks had tried to shoot something, they didn't fucking succeed. I'm not afraid to admit it, I was shitting my pants. I heard feet come slapping against the cement and then three hacks sprinted past our cell, Hutch said. They weren't just running, they were fucking sprinting, hauling ass like Olympians. I seen their faces for a second and they were wild with fear. I'd never seen anyone look like that before or since. Everyone was hollering at them as they, as they passed, asking them what the fuck was going on. They didn't even answer, they didn't even hear us. They just ran on by and kept going. After a few minutes, a fourth guy comes running along and he's limping real bad using his rifle as a crutch. He got left behind, I guess. The hack was looking over his shoulder a lot and sort of jog hopping as fast as he could manage. He was leaving a trail of blood behind him. The hack's uniform was shredded and torn on one side of his body, flapping around like rags. I yelled at him, hey, what the fuck happened to you guys? What's going on? And he stopped in front of our cell. I could see the guy a little better now and I wished I hadn't. It was Amesley. He wasn't dead after all, at least not yet. His right arm had been shredded to almost nothing. I mean, it was just a few flapping pieces of meat and stringy shit oozing blood and barely holding the bones together. His right thigh was missing huge chunks of meat, too, and most of the foot. The guy's face was gray from blood loss. His eyes were like dolls, like twin pieces around murky glass. He was in shock. He moved his mouth, trying to find words, I, I, I think, then said, I think I'm dying. Then he started hopping again. There was a puddle of blood on the floor where he had stopped. Okay, that's enough, Remy said, and his voice quavered a little. 
I don't want to hear anymore. I don't remember asking if you did, Mikey rasped. Remy pursed his painted lips and was silent. Hutch continued. I heard something else coming. It sounded like something running on all fours, something with claws. I backed up against the wall as far away as I could, and Johnny cowered down into his bunk with his blanket pulled up around his face. It came in fast, and it ripped past my cell, just a fucking blur of arms and legs. And about ten seconds later, I hear Ainsley start wailing like a siren. It was awful. Those were death screams, man. Nothing else can force a living creature to let out such awful fucking sounds. It took me a moment to understand that Ainsley wasn't just screaming, he was saying something. He was saying, Mommy, it's eating me. Mommy, it's eating me. And then I realized that I was screaming right along with him. So was Johnny. The whole pod was screaming. You remember that, Mikey? All of us, 200 murderers and stick-up men, fucking screaming in unison like little girls. I won't ever forget that night, not ever, Mikey said quietly. The hack finally stopped making noise, and we all did too. You could almost taste the terror in the air, sharp and bitter. I could smell Ainsley's blood, that coppery smell that gets in your throat and makes you want to retch. It was so quiet. Silent as a tomb, you could have heard a pin drop, and then slowly, so slowly, a figure comes strolling into view out of the range. It was the kid. He was red from head to toe, completely covered in blood and guts and shreds of stuff that kept sliding off him and dropping onto the floor. He wandered right down the middle of the range, and he was carrying Ainsley's head by the hair, dangling beside his leg as he walked. I watched him as he passed by, and I didn't breathe. Not once did I even fucking dare to breathe. The kid ambles up to the hack shack, just as casual as could be, and he puts Ainley's severed head up on the ledge of the window. Then he walked out into the middle of the range, raised his arms, pointed at all of us, each individual cell, like he was marking us. Each and every one. Marking us for death. When he was done, the kid walked back the way he came and he disappeared from view. That was the last anyone ever saw of him. He was just... gone. There was a full minute of silence. Finally, I spoke up. Why? Why the fuck did I never hear anything about this before? How? This should have been everywhere. The news, TV, crime shows, fucking everywhere. Nick chimed in and said, I never heard nothing about this either and used to love those fucking crime shows. No, you never heard nothing about that, but you might have heard something about a prison riot, Mikey said. According to the newspapers, the comms took advantage of the power outage and went apeshit for a few hours. Most of the guards on duty died trying to stop us, or so the story goes. The government funded a swell new electronic locking system, all because of what happened that night. I thought about this for a moment, then said, I don't know. What don't you know, huh? I'll fucking tell you the rest. How's that? Hutch glared down at me and his narrowed eyes slammed phantom punches into my face, and I froze. 
the three hacks that we've seen running for their lives, they ran right into the arms of SWAT team who'd just gotten on the scene with their guns drawn. The cops busted through the gate and they found what was left of Ainsley first. They ignored our hollering and followed the blood trail. They found the rest of them in the hallway that runs down the mill at the middle of solitary, lying in a raw heap with the blood congealing in a pool beneath the bodies like gravy. All the cell doors had been ripped away from their hinges and the cons inside had been torn into pieces. From what I heard, it took a crime scene cleanup crew six days to clean out that wing. And even after that, the cons and the hacks were finding dried up bits of flesh and bone for months on end. We told you what happened, and you can believe it or not, I don't give a fuck, and neither does Mikey. Ask around if you wanna. There's some long timers here that might talk about it if you give them something to loosen their lips. Once again, I don't give a fuck. This whole pod had nightmares for a long, long time. I'm probably gonna have them till the day I die. I doubt I'm the only one. There is something within these fucking walls that looks human, but isn't. It's something that you don't want to meet, and believe me, you better hope you never do. Hutch stopped talking then, and as the hour was late and we were all pretty fucked up, the silence soon turned to sleep. I recall dreaming of a fair-haired young man who stood amongst us as we slept, silent as a shadow. His eyes were completely black, and the feeble glow of the emergency lights, his expression vault-pine and hungry. I remember that in the dream. I was very, very afraid that the boy would sense that I was not actually asleep. If he discovered that I was awake, he'd devour me. I remember this quite clearly. We awoke early in the morning to the pitiful sounds of junk-sick Richie dry-heaving into the toilet. The lights were back on and the lockdown was over. Richie wasn't the only one who was feeling like shit that morning. We were all in pretty rough shape, especially for floor folk. Sleeping in a sitting position on cold concrete makes for a stiff, painful morning. None of us had much to say. We all sat and smoked and waited for the hacks to do morning headcount. I wondered if pounding hangovers weren't the only reason for that. I suspected that I wasn't the only one whose sleep had been disturbed by a fair hair specter. A thing that should have ceased to walk the earth before, but had not. A thing with a terrible appetite. The cops finally came around and let us out of our cages. They pointedly did not perform the morning cell check. If they had, there simply wouldn't have been enough cells in solitary to confine all the rule breakers. We all trooped off to stand in chow line, except Richie, who opted to stay behind and undoubtedly indulge in a snort or two. That's pretty much where the story ends. Well, almost. I was released a year early for good behavior. During the rest of my time there, most of Mikey's crew were paroled either through the front door or the back. Richie was the first one to get wheeled out the back way. Then. Eight months later, Coltrane's skull was pounded into a new messy format, and he followed Richie out the back door. Six months before I uncaged, Big Rob Hutch had a heart attack while walking up the stairs that led to the tier above ours. He fell backwards, clutching his chest, and was dead before he somersaulted over the last few steps and landed at the bottom. So, for a while, it was just me, Mikey, Nick, and a few casual homeboys. It got boring. The crew unraveled at the seams, and by the time I was paroled, it had ceased to exist. Oh! Big Rob is Hutch. Big Rob is Hutch. Alright, well, we treated them as separate characters. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Shit, shit happens. <laughs> hey, man. Let's start over? That's, yeah, <laughs> what are we gonna do? We're on the last two pages. We're yeah. gonna start from the top and act this out. I probably should have paid more attention <laughs> to... Well, I probably could have... I probably could have planned this in a way where we acted certain characters and yeah. had a conversation with each other, 
but fuck me, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, anyway. The whole thing was very haphazard. And we're, we're not we even done indulge. yet. We're yeah. not even done yet. Just accept it for a bunch of people sitting around like a campfire bullshitting. <laughs> yeah. So for a while, it's just me, Mikey, Nick, and a few casual homeboys. It got boring. The crew unraveled at the seams, and by the time I was paroled, it had ceased to exist. A few months after my divorce was finalized, I got nostalgic one night and decided to try and find Mikey online. Soon enough, I did through his obituary. He died in a hospital of short illness not long after I was released. Remy was also deceased, the victim of a shower room rape and stabbing, and Nikki, I discovered that he was in a mental institution. I visited him in there once. I'd rather be in jail any day. Most of the patients I saw there were zombies, chemically bitch-slapped into subservience by their meds. There were a few others who were just... strange. Their gaze made me feel unsafe, and for Christ's sake, I did time in a federal penitentiary. I was shown to where Nicky sat by himself at a table, and he instantly recognized me. We greeted each other like old friends and made small talk just like anyone would. He seemed completely normal to me. I didn't understand why he was here, until I mentioned Hutch. What do you think happened to Hutch, exactly? I asked him, and his relaxed grin suddenly became a twisted grimace of fear. He seized me by the front of my jacket and hauled me close, and his eyes burned bright with the fire of insanity. As he hissed, the kid pushed him down the stairs. It wasn't a fucking heart attack that's a cover-up. The kid got Mikey too. It ate everything but his head. It left his head on his fucking pillow. The orderlies grabbed Nicky and pried him off of me, and they dragged him away while he screamed and flailed and twisted in their iron grip. I watched this with an open mouth and my heart pounding. Then I went home and got very, very drunk. Somewhere within those prison walls, there is a thing that hungers, and sometimes it feeds. I don't expect you to believe this any more than I did, but you know what? On nights like this, with the wind howling and the fine hair standing up on my neck, I couldn't care less what you believe. And if you were ever unfortunate enough to meet him face to face, well, I'll bet the kid wouldn't care what you believe either. That's quite a fucking story. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I do, like, <laughs> I know we touched on it, and I just, I, I think it's, the first thing I want to get out of the way is, if I had planned this, I would have read it like a Twilight Zone episode, mm-hmm. exactly like fucking Rod Serling, because we also, was, we also didn't know what we were I was into. in the penitentiary. Yeah. <laughs> Probably would have gotten annoying. But I, I do think, like... I, we did if, have if enough I, voices this if, episode. Solid fucking yeah. story. I mean, take our podcasting voice shenanigans out of the way. And, like, story was fucking awesome. I, I love the idea of a... They describe him as an angel, and I think that's hilarious. Because he's getting rid of, like, murderers and... Oh, that, that is a good cor- point. Corrupt cops, that essentially. Is a good point. Um, I do, I do feel like the guards at the prison are an unnecessary casualty in trying to get the image across. But ultimately, uh, I think they're just as. I think they, so, you know? yeah, I think, but I think more so that they're trying to solidify this person monster as like the devil incarnate. Okay. Well, they, the way they the describe his his, an angel. his in, exactly yeah. no, that's what I'm I'm yeah. I'm definitely getting to like he was an animalistic, cannibalistic, otherworldly humanoid being. 
Mm-hmm. Wherever you want to go with that, that's the information we have. Yeah. So I think that's that's really compelling because, you know, never judge a book by its cover. And truth is stranger than fiction. So the idea of setting it up in a context of a penitentiary, you know, pass down the, yeah. the way, you know, grapevine storytelling. It's a really great context to kind of put a story in because, uh, you know, Shawshank Redemption, like one of the best fucking movies. The entire thing is Morgan Freeman. Mm-hmm. Could have read this entire story as Morgan Freeman. That that might have gone over pretty well. And then I walked <laughs> into myself. The end. <laughs> we read we Django and I read Dogscape as a Morgan Freeman Planet Planet Earth documentary. Okay, it was, uh, it's ridiculous because it's about a a planet that has like a giant dog stretched all over it with tiny little mouths and paws, and, but the skin of the dog mother was blessed. <laughs> <laughs> we just for some reason I don't know why why Django and I just read that entire story like Morgan Freeman. But yeah. anyway, this was super fun and I and I liked reading it. Is there anything that you wanted to to touch on about this story? So it it kind of did everything that I expected it to do, but I was still like captivated like, you know, what is it what is it going to do next? Like what's going to happen next? Where is like is there going to be Where's a twist the around the corner? Yeah. yeah. Where am I? Yeah, where, where am I? <laughs> the I, I was I was definitely engrossed in this story. I was super captivated. I think I think somewhere by page five, I was just like, yeah, this is gonna be good. Mm-hmm. You you were maybe halfway through your first section, that first quarter, and I was just like, this is great. This yeah. is this is really good. So new fish, new fish from Reddit No Sleep. Another another great episode in a series of pretty great recent episodes i think whistlers are, is going to be a, a big one i mention a lot um a lot of a lot of people i send uh uncle jerry's family fun zone that's episode 22 yeah that is certainly that's just uh, unforgettable it's, it's just a one it's just a one story and done you know thing between me and Django and much like this it was kind of hearsay it was kind of based on a dialogue of unreliable narrators to say the least but you know there's still a twist there's still a point at the end of the story where you're just like shit well it it definitely wasn't what I thought was going on and and that's how I felt about this yeah I feel like this is your this is your Uncle Jerry's (laughs) new fish was your Uncle Jerry episode it's going to be uh it's going to be tough to kind of follow this this storytelling. But voices yeah. and all. <laughs> voices and all. <laughs> which which is another medium I've been testing with. I think in episode 65, it's me, Django, and Strawberry Shortcake. Uh, <laughs> he was yeah. also in episode 47. Huh. Um, we do something in 47 where it's kind of like we each play a character in a short story. Mm-hmm. And it's like reading a script. And it was just cool. Sometimes it's cool to read shit that way. I think Sir, Bo- Sir Brewberry loves to do that shit all the time, too. I should probably think more about your episodes. <laughs> and, yeah, fair and enough. Give, yeah. And give us better better <laughs> management, better dialogue. But I, th- but I still think the story was fucking cool. Yeah. The story th- was fucking awesome. I think usually when I'm, I'm recording, it's either planned super far in advance, <laughs> or it's like, 
Oh, I'm, smack. There we are. Okay. Minute, hey, I'm getting drunk. At, <laughs> hey, I'm getting drunk at a bar. Come, come get a drink with me. Come yeah. get a drink with me. And, and, and I'm always just like, I don't, I don't like drinking in public. And you're just like, don't be a bitch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, come smoke weed with me. It's my weed. You can smoke it. And you're just like, I'm going to go drunk somewhere. And I'm like, okay, you do you, man. But yeah. really, I do appreciate the impromptu trips to the area. You know, you're always welcome here, and you're always welcome to record. And this was a really fun fucking episode.